As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Broadcasting across the United States, Canada, and around the world, this is the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Your host for the program is Hank Hanegraaff, president of the Christian Research Institute. We're on the air because life and truth matter. For more information, resources, or to donate to CRI, call 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. That's equip.org. .org. The following program was pre-recorded. To start today's Bible Answer Man broadcast, here's your host, Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you much, Randy. Do remember our contact information on the web, equip.org, and via the mail, it's Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip code 28271. Resource Consultants is always standing by, 888-7000, and the letter CRI. A lot of you hanging on. We'll go right to the phone calls. First up is Jonah listening in Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Jonah. Hi there, Hank. First time listener. I love listening to you guys. Thank you. God bless you. Um, I've grown up over the years believing that the rapture is going to happen prior to the tribulation. But as an adult, I've heard different doctrines teach mid-tribulation and post-tribulation. And I was just curious what your perspective is on that. Well, I think both positions are misguided because the whole rapture theory is without any biblical basis. There's not a single passage in Scripture that speaks of Jesus coming to rapture the church prior to his second appearing. Our Lord's own words negate the notion. He said a time is coming when all 
who are on the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. So in my view, the plain and the literal sense of the Lord's words suggest a moment in the future when both the righteous and the unrighteous will be resurrected and judged together. The notion that some will come out of their graves at the rapture and others a thousand seven years later, or even a thousand years later, if you take the post-tribulational view, is clearly an imposition on the biblical text. And there's no biblical basis for a coming seven-year tribulation during which the vast majority of Jews will die either, and that's part and parcel of the package. It is simply, in my view, an imposition of Scripture. It's taking passages and reading meanings into those passages as opposed to reading the passages in the sense in which they were intended. Okay, so what I understand is that you believe we'll be going through the tribulation? No, what I believe is that when the Bible speaks of tribulation, it speaks about a tribulation under the Old Testament Antichrist, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, also a tribulation under the New Testament beast. This took place in the epicenter of a Caesar cult. And Jesus expanding on this idea of tribulation, letting us know that in this world we will have tribulation. And just as believers were fruitful and faithful during the reign of Antiochus IV Epiphanes, and they would not be Hellenized in that context, and believers were faithful during the great tribulation that took place when the temple in Jerusalem were destroyed, we are to be faithful in that same way. And so Jesus is telling us we'll have tribulation, but we are to take heart because he's overcome the world, and we are to look forward to the great and glorious hope of not a pre-tribulational rapture, but rather a resurrection. And when Jesus Christ comes and resurrects us, we will be with him forever, which is to say that God himself will live with us. We will be his people. He will be our God. And as Revelation 21 goes on to say, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the older things will have passed away. So my contention is simply this. It's not my opinion that matters. It is what does Scripture say? And I cannot find a text or a collection of texts that point to this whole idea of a modern-day tribulation in the same sense as tribulation was used with respect to Antiochus IV Epiphanes, the Old Testament Antichrist, and what happened under the New Testament beast in the time that Jesus predicted that the temple would be destroyed in Jerusalem with it. So the idea is that these are great examples of the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. They were an example to us so that we too will stand faithfully in the midst of the tribulations that come into our lives. Okay, then. It looks like I need to do a little more studying. I appreciate your taking the time to talk to me. You got it. I wrote a book on this called The Apocalypse Code. Find out what the Bible really says about the end times and why it matters today. So that book will, I think, help you understand the biblical passages that are oftentimes, I think, mistranslated. All right. I appreciate it. I'll go online and get it. You got it. Thank you for your call. Back to the phone lines. We'll talk next to Steve in Milbrae, California. Hi, Steve. My question is about the origin of sin. I mean, 
Why is he sin? Because simply we were born with a fallen nature. And God cannot blame us for sinning because he gave us the original sin. We were born with sinners. Well, all of us have a propensity, a disposition, an inclination towards sin. But out of this comes the best of all possible worlds. And I think that God could have done otherwise. God could have created a world in which there was no potential for evil. But had he created the world that way, there would be no volition. There would be no choice. And without choice, love is rendered meaningless. So, yes, Adam and Eve fell into lives of constant sin, terminated by death. The universe itself groans in travail, but out of that will come a world in which we will forever be able to love God without the possibility of Satan or the flesh or the devil being a temptation in the wrong direction. So God has created in his perfect goodness and sovereign knowledge, the best of all possible worlds in the world that is to come, a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. With no sin. With no sin. Nothing impure, the Bible says, will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there will be no tempter, there will be no temptation, we will continue in the glorified state to learn and grow and develop, but albeit without any error whatsoever as we explore not only the wonders of God's created handiwork, but also the wonders of the one who has saved us by his grace and made possible for us a world in which we will forever be able not to sin. Okay. Thank you very much, Dr. Honeycutt. You got it. Thank you for your call, Steve. Back to the phone lines. We'll talk to Jay in Los Angeles, California, listening on the web. Hi, Jay. Hey, it's a pleasure to speak with you. You've been a longtime mentor of mine in so many different ways. So just want to thank you for your influence in my life and uh, now my children's life. Wonderful. Okay. So uh, my question is about the eternal subordination of the sun that I've been hearing about lately. It seems like this is being espoused by people in the uh, patriarchy movement. Uh, do you know anything about that? Yeah, and the problem is, is there's no warrant for this whatsoever. I think one of the problems we have today is we're not only a biblical, in other words, biblically illiterate, but we're a historical. We oftentimes do not, as it were, like pygmies, stand on the shoulders of giants. Uh, rather, we purport that we're giants standing on the shoulders of pygmies. In other words, we negate the church history that's gone before us. In church history, the creeds and the councils and the confessions hammered all of this out and gave us creedal formulation so that we might well understand the biblical principles and precepts that today are oftentimes neglected. But there is no evidence whatsoever in the whole of Scripture and in church history that we should hold to the eternal subordination of the Son to the Father. Jesus, in the Incarnation, voluntarily veiled the prerogatives of divinity, but he didn't divest himself of a single attribute of deity, and he has been exalted to the highest place. He is now transcending time 
and space, and he is in the presence of the Father. And the Creed of Athanasius, really writing against the Arians, talks about this. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Again, I think concise, but also beautiful because it is expressing the truth that we have so gloriously given to us in the Bible. All right, Hank. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for the help. I do appreciate it. You got it. Thank you so much for your call. Coming up onto a station break, we'll be right back with more of the show. Joe Dallas rightly dubs cancel culture a spreading madness, a virus of twisted thinking. Belief in the normalcy of the male-female sexual union is viewed as homophobic. The immutable nature of our assigned sex, transphobic, and the value of the unborn, misogynistic. The dam has burst, submerging basic Christian morality and ethics. How do you bear witness to Christ's love within such a culture? Let Joe Dallas show you in his new book, Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking with Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. To receive your copy, call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support the Christian Research Institute's life-changing outreaches. 888-7000-CRI or visit us at equip.org. That's equip.org. Stay with us. Hank Hanegraaff will be back with more right after this. God spoken? Are the words of Scripture merely human in origin, or are they in fact the very words of God Himself? Three years in the making and based on two decades of research and reflection, Hank Hanegraaff's monumental book, Has God Spoken?, answers what is surely the most important question facing our world. In Has God Spoken? Memorable Proofs of the Bible's Divine Inspiration, Hank counters the contentions of the Bible attackers and clearly shows that belief in the Holy Scriptures is not a guess or wishful thinking. It is the only logical conclusion after an honest examination of overwhelming evidence. Order Has God Spoken? from the Christian Research Institute by calling 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. Equip You've based your understanding of today's sensitive social issues on the Bible's truth. Mainstream culture not only sees these issues differently, but calls you bigoted for rejecting views they've deemed self-evident. So how do you witness Christ's love to those who write you off as hateful? Christians in a Cancel Culture by Joe Dallas breaks down how you can speak wisdom about politically charged and personal subjects with equal parts compassion and conviction. This book will prepare you to stay true to the Bible's views on sin, salvation, racism, gender identity, homosexuality, and abortion, while teaching you how you can sustain relationships with those who feel threatened by God's truth. To receive Christians in a Cancel Culture, call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support the Christian Research Institute's life-changing outreaches, 888-7000-CRI, or visit us at equip.org. That's equip.org. 
Bertrand Russell famously said, most people would rather die than think, and many of them do. Not so with CRI support team members. Support team members are not only serious thinkers, but their membership in CRI's support team helps to equip hundreds of thousands of fellow believers around the globe each and every month. Are you not a member? Then you're missing out. Not only do support team members form the backbone of Christian Research Institute's outreaches, but they enjoy their selection of resources from our Equipping Essentials Library and receive a complimentary subscription to CRI's award-winning Christian Research Journal, just two of the benefits of membership. To discover how you can make a difference 24-7 in equipping believers at home and abroad to stand for life and truth, check out the benefits of membership at equip.org. Now back to the Bible Answer Man broadcast and your host, Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you much, Randy. And right back to our phone callers. Next up is Kevin listening in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, CJCA. Hi, Kevin. Oh, hi, Hank. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, good. Uh, I got a question for you regarding the Sabbath. Uh-huh. Uh, I heard on your show you said that we should keep the Sabbath, correct? Or did I misinterpret it? Well, what I have always said is that the Fourth Commandment is still applicable to us today. However, there is a reason behind the symbol of the Sabbath. In Genesis, the Sabbath was a celebration of God's completed work in creation. And then after the Exodus, the Sabbath expanded to a celebration of God's deliverance from oppression in Egypt. And then as a result of Christ's resurrection, the Sabbath emphasis shifted once again. It became a celebration of the rest we have through Christ who delivers us from sin and the grave. And for the emerging Christian church, the most dangerous snare was a failure to recognize that Jesus was the substance that fulfilled the symbol of the Sabbath. That was like going to be my next question, is like if we were to celebrate the Sabbath, I guess, through Christ, was there a specific way of doing it? Because I know we do it on Sunday, but I was just wondering if there's anything specific, like you, you do anything specific? or. Well, yeah, I mean, what we do is we, as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we celebrate the resurrection every single first day of the week. And that's what the early Christian church did. Within weeks, thousands of Jews willingly gave up a theological tradition that had given them their national identity. And God provides the early church with a pattern for worship. And this pattern includes breaking bread, as it were, where we are demonstrating oneness as a body We are worshiping God through prayer, praise, and the proclamation of the word in community. We are also partaking of the Lord's Supper in community. And then we are within the context of the church as one body knit together, as Romans chapter 12 points it, we are being equipped to go out and impact the world so that the world might have the same experience of Christ that we have. Okay, perfect. I uh, never got an answer until now, so thank you. You got it. Thank you for your call. Jamie next in Spring Hill, Kansas. Hi, Jamie. Hi, hi. My question relates to a previous caller 
asking about the rapture and your response to that. What I felt that I comprehended from your answer to her was from the point that you made of what Jesus says in Scripture, that we will all rise and accordingly be judged by, you know, our good or our evil deeds. Sure. I was quoting Jesus where he said, Do not be amazed at this. The time is coming when all who are in the grace will come out. Some will rise to live and some will rise to be condemned. And therefore, there is a time when all are resurrected. Some are not resurrected at one time and others at another time, as many people suppose. Well, yeah, and I'm new to being called out of the world myself, you know, and the first time that I read the entire Bible, my first impression was that there would be this tribulation and then this so-called rapture. I didn't get caught up in the whole mythology, if you will, of the rapture until much later in my walk. But I was just kind of fascinated by what you had said there to her, and it seemed to me like almost, and until you had just kind of made it a little more clear, it was almost like the Valley of Dry Bones was some sort of an analogy for the resurrection, but yet it seemed like if Ezekiel was playing the role of Christ, which I'm not saying that he was, but then everyone being dead in that valley was what came to mind when you quoted what Jesus said, and it just seemed to me like, well, is he saying that everyone will be dead when the resurrection occurs? Well, not necessarily. I mean, what you have is a very clear contextualization of this in First Thessalonians chapter 4. I mean, there are people who are dead, they've fallen asleep, and then there are people who are alive who are caught up together with them in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. So when Jesus appears a second time, there certainly will be people living just as there will be multitudes who have fallen asleep. Right, and I knew to myself that you weren't trying to make that point, but I just had to call and say something about it. But And then there was like a point where you were saying that between the Old Testament Antichrist and the New Testament Antichrist, there just something came to mind that it seemed like, well, what do the witnesses and the three and a half years that they witness and the man of lawlessness, I mean, isn't that a kind of a point of reference for every believer who has ever read that to think that, well, since he's not been revealed and the witnesses haven't come yet that we know of, or we can almost be guaranteed of that, doesn't that indicate then a future time on this earth where there will be a tribulation that is kind of ambiguous in my mind about, well, has Jesus came by then or not, or does... Well, let's talk about that for a moment. You know, if you are going to rightly identify the two witnesses of Revelation 11, I think it's very important to have the background music of the Old Testament coursing through your mind. But you cannot attempt to draw exact parallels between the apocalyptic imagery of the Old Testament reference, nor can you attempt to press the language system of Revelation into some kind of a literalistic labyrinth such that the two witnesses actually turn their mouths into blowtorches, for example. The two witnesses are very clearly a metaphorical reference to Moses and Elijah. In that Old Testament jurisprudence mandated at least two witnesses 
to convict someone of a crime. And in this case, in the case of Revelation 11, the two witnesses accuse Israel of apostasy. She was supposed to be a light to the nation, but instead she prostituted herself with the nations. So the mission of the two witnesses can rightly be identified with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, they're sacrificial lambs. And like Jesus, their corpses unceremoniously litter the street of Jerusalem, so to say, the very street where the Lord was crucified. The city is figuratively called Sodom. It's called Sodom because it epitomizes human wickedness and heavenly wrath. And it's called Egypt in that it is emblematic of the slavery from which only Jesus can emancipate us. And so the two witnesses, they form a composite image of the law and the prophets that culminate in the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of a prophet and a priest who is the earnest of all who are his witnesses and all who will reign with him in a new Jerusalem wherein dwells righteousness. So in light of all the biblical imagery that you have here, the two witnesses are revealed not as two literal people that are coming in the 21st century, such as a future reincarnation of Moses and Elijah, but they're literary characters in John's apocalypse and they represent the entire line of Hebrew prophets in testifying against Israel and warning of soon coming judgment of God on Jerusalem, which is the very thing that Jesus predicts would happen within a generation. So you have to understand the context of Revelation, and I think important to understand that Revelation is John's expanded Olivet Discourse. So if you go to the synoptics, they all have all of the discourses, but John does not. John gives you an expanded all of it discourse in the book of Revelation. But again, to understand Revelation, you have to have a working knowledge of the Old Testament because Revelation is 404 verses and 278 are direct allusions to Old Testament literature. And without understanding that Old Testament literature, you can get involved in a quagmire of the this is that fallacy where, you know, people are using the newspaper to try to determine what's going on in the book of Revelation. But hey, Revelation... I, I've, been a, I've been a fan of yours and a listener for a long time, and I've, I've done every attempt that, that I can to study the Word as best as I can without going to seminary or any secondary school. But what I get from whenever I talk to a guy that has spent most of his life involved with ministry in some sort is I always come away with, it's like I haven't applied myself. And so that being said, what about the simple person who has a very limited understanding of what you've just said, but yet believes greatly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And well, when I say is in essential, I'm trying to I'm trying to answer you quickly just because we're almost out of time. But I say that in essentials unity, non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity, which is to say, we stand shoulder to shoulder together, you and I, on the main and plain things of Scripture, Jamie. Those are the very doctrines for which 
the martyrs shed their blood so you and I could stand shoulder to shoulder in the belief that Jesus will appear a second time. The details in terms of the meaning of the millennium or the timing of the tribulation, we can debate those vigorously without dividing over them. I have to sign off because we're just out of time. Nice talking to you, Jamie, and for everybody else. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow with more of the show. We appreciate you tuning in to the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Before we sign off today, here's our contact information. By phone, dial 888-7000-CRI, which translates to 888-7000-274. On the internet, go to equip.org. That's equip.org. You can also write CRI at Post Office Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina. The zip code is 28271. Our prayer is that today's broadcast has equipped you to better defend your faith and encouraged you to pursue sound doctrine and godly living. Thank you for listening. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is supported by listeners like you. We're on the air because life and truth matter. You've based your understanding of today's sensitive social issues on the Bible's truth. Mainstream culture not only sees these issues differently, but calls you bigoted for rejecting views they've deemed self-evident. So how do you witness Christ's love to those who write you off as hateful? Christians in a Cancel Culture by Joe Dallas breaks down how you can speak wisdom about politically charged and personal subjects with equal parts compassion and conviction. This book will prepare you to stay true to the Bible's views on sin, salvation, racism, gender identity, homosexuality, and abortion, while teaching you how you can sustain relationships with those who feel threatened by God's truth. To receive Christians in a Cancel Culture, call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support the Christian Research Institute's life-changing outreaches, 888-7000-CRI, or visit us at equip.org. That's equip.org. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.